Hello, and welcome to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas, and each week I'm going to watch one of the 94 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture and tell you exactly what I think of them. We're going to follow the same rules every week. It's the basic details of the movie, things like who's in it, what's it all about, and then I'm going to answer three important questions. One, does it stand the test of time? Two, is it Oscar worthy? Three, should you watch it or will this just be two hours you wished you had back? As a friendly warning, along with my honest assessment of these movies, you'll also get my hot takes on many current events, my crazy rants about topics that piss me off, and of course, a heaping dose of adult language. So please be sure to listen with caution. Before I begin, I'd like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb, as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar related. And with that, let's take it away. This week's Oscar-winning film is The Silence of the Lambs. It was released February 14th, 1991. Never mind that that is Valentine's Day, so there's some sicko out there that thought that was kind of funny. But if you know anything about Oscar trends, you'll know that all of the like Oscar-worthy movies are either summer blockbusters that come out you know, right around Memorial Day or Fourth of July weekend, or even more common is that they are released between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So giving this movie a February release date tells me the production company wasn't quite so sure it would do well. This is often the time of year when they dump less important films that they don't anticipate will gain any steam. And boy, were they wrong. It is directed by Jonathan Demme. It stars Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, Scott Glenn, Ted Levine, and Brooke Smith. It was nominated for a total of seven Oscars, and it won five. Silence of the Lambs is one of only three movies in history to win the big five awards. It won for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. It is also the only horror movie in history to ever win for Best Picture. If you want to watch it, it's available on a couple of different streaming services for free if you have their subscriptions. That includes Amazon, Paramount Plus, and Showtime. You can also pay $3.99 to watch it on Apple TV, Vudu, and Redbox. It's basically everywhere, and I promise you if you have to pay for it, it is worth every single penny. So what is it about? Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster, is a trainee at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. She's pulled out of training by Jack Crawford, the head of the Bureau's Behavioral Sciences Division, and he assigns her to interview an incarcerated serial killer by the name of Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. Lecter is a formerly well-respected psychiatrist who Crawford hopes might provide some insight on a current serial killer known as Buffalo Bill, who the Bureau is desperately trying to hunt down. Buffalo Bill is a delightful fellow. He kills young women and removes the skin from their bodies. Isn't he charming? This assignment should be easy enough though, right? Best case scenario is Clarice gets Lecter to review the Buffalo Bill case and provide her with enough of a psychological profile to help her solve the case. 
at worst, he toys with her, ignores her altogether, and leaves the FBI no worse off than they already are. Well, hold on. That's not the worst thing that could happen because Lecter is fondly known as Hannibal the Cannibal because, yes, you guessed it, he likes to dine on his victims. And the FBI has just sent a young female trainee in to go head-to-head with this guy. So Clarice is in this terrible position, right? She has to team up with one fucking psycho to try and catch another fucking psycho and thus begins a wonderful little partnership. Lecter is actually quite taken with Clarice and he decides early on that he wants to help her. It's probably less about, I guess, helping her as it is proving that he can outsmart Buffalo Bill. But nonetheless, he's willing to commit his expertise. Lecter also has a strong desire to be transferred away from the current psychiatric facility where he's being held. He has no love for the sadistic administrator, Dr. Chilton, and if he helps the FBI catch Buffalo Bill, he's been promised a transfer to a better facility. Lecter is all about quid pro quo, especially when it comes to Clarice. He's willing to give her hints about the case if she in return will share with him personal tidbits about her life. It's not really as gross or sexual or weird as you might think. He just asks her questions about her childhood, her father's death, the time she ran away from home. He gets in her head and he does break her down. There's a time where you wonder what this has to do with anything other than giving him the thrill of fucking with her. But then you start to see how he forces her to show emotion. The stories she tells him They make her sad or they make her angry or they make her frightened. And it's at those moments she seems to have heightened clarity about the Buffalo Bill case. Suddenly the clues start to make sense and things start to come together. So it's like he has to mentally break her down to get her to see things a different way. And along the way, these two learn how to interact with each other. It's almost as if they're behaving like respectful work colleagues each valuing what the other contributes to their weird little dynamic. Meanwhile, as Clarice is running down leads, the story shifts to show us the world of Buffalo Bill. This character is played by Ted Levine, and the performance is masterful. It really is. There is a strange, demented complexity to this character. Just trying to figure him out would exhaust you. He's just all over the map. Buffalo Bill's MO is to kidnap women, larger plus size women to be specific. He holds them hostage long enough to starve them for a few days. Then he kills them and skins them. And you don't really know why he's doing what he's doing until the very end. So it's a scary, creepy roller coaster ride. At the time Clarice is brought into the case, Bill has already killed five women. And we watch as he kidnaps his next victim, Catherine Martin. Unfortunately for Bill, he accidentally bit off a little bit more than he could chew because Catherine is the only daughter of Tennessee Senator Ruth Martin. So now the press coverage explodes. He's kidnapped the daughter of a senator. So now the FBI is under even more pressure to catch him. Shit just got super real. And what complicates things even more is Dr. Chilton. He's the head of the psychiatric hospital. And he's always had a little bit of a bone to pick, right? He feels like Clarice when she comes to meet with Lecter. She's not respectful enough of what he's trying to do. Lecter is his patient and he doesn't like her gaining traction with him, which Chilton's been unable to do for years. Chilton is secretly recording their meetings. 
So he knows of Lecter's desire to be transferred, and he knows the FBI was bluffing when they made a promise to do so. So now this dumb douchebag pulls a fast one on the FBI in an effort to boost his own standing. He goes directly to the senator, and the two of them negotiate a real transfer for Lecter on the condition that Lecter must tell Chilton, not the FBI, but Chilton, who Buffalo Bill really is. And he has to do so in time to save Catherine Martin. The revelation that the FBI had been duping Lecter somewhat gives them a black eye and you suspect that Lecter is going to stop trusting Clarice. He's going to stop helping her. And, and truthfully, she may actually really be in danger. But as it turns out, Lecter's hate and distrust is much higher for Dr. Chilton than it is for anybody else. And he has decided that he's going to pull some stunts of his own. What happens next is simultaneously the most creative and most disturbing escape scene you have ever seen. Dr. Chilton, in all of his effort to be the hero and the, and the, the headliner of the story, he has inadvertently enabled Dr. Hannibal Lecter to escape. And now he's on the run and no one knows where he's gone. Clarice is hot on the trail of Buffalo Bill. She has effectively solved all the clues Lecter had given her, and the FBI is closing in. Much to our horror, we get to see Catherine Martin in captivity, and it dawns on us what's going to happen to her if they don't hurry. So we watch, holding our breath, just hoping that they will get to her in time. Question one, does this movie stand the test of time? Yes, the story, the performances, the writing, You can watch it over and over and over again, and it's every bit as good as it was the first time. It's become a part of our pop culture lexicon. So many quotable lines like, a census taker tried to test me once. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Or it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. (laughs) You'd have to watch it to really understand, but it's just sick. It's listed as one of the greatest 100 films in the past 100 years by American Film Institute. Lecter's escape scene that I mentioned earlier is ranked seventh on the list of Bravo's 100 scariest movie moments. The AFI also named Hannibal Lecter the number one film villain of all time and Clarice Starling as the sixth greatest hero of all time. When it comes to psychos, time hasn't changed. We still have deranged serial killers, and the level of depravity and cruelty is both shocking and sad. I can't imagine how these men, and yes, the vast majority of them are white men, how they get to this level of psychopathy, I'll never know. Something clicks in them or breaks in them, and they just feel justified to commit these inhumane acts. We never really get the full story as to why Buffalo Bill does what he does. There are scenes of him cross-dressing as if sexual confusion or frustration could justify his behavior. At the time of the movie's release, LGBTQ advocates worried that people would falsely believe that being gay or trans is somehow linked to unspeakable violence. But it is discredited in conversations between Clarice and Lecter. And I think the writer does a really good job of handling the sensitivity of this topic, especially considering this movie is 30 years old. One thing is made very clear. None of the data demonstrates a link between transsexuals and violence. It just simply isn't true. In fact, 
I'll state unequivocally right now, statistically, (laughs) you would be much safer sending your child into a room filled with transsexuals and drag queens than you would be having them spend time alone with just a couple of Catholic priests. Don't believe me? Be sure to come back in a couple of weeks when I discuss the movie Spotlight, and I'll prove it to you. What we learn is that Bill isn't gay, nor is he a real transsexual or even a transvestite. He's just someone that hates himself and the vessel he's stuck living in, so much to the point he's desperate to change his outer appearance in any way possible. Because he's been evaluated and deemed to have psychotic tendencies, no hospital will consider him for sex change procedures. So he's left to find a way to make this sort of happen on his own. And this is when we discover why he skins the women he kills. His level of depravity will shock you. And it's just an all around creepy thing. It's a true horror movie. There's no escaping the fear he instills in his victims. Question two, is it Oscar worthy? Yes, 100%. The other movies nominated that year were Beauty and the Beast, Bugsy, JFK, and The Prince of Tides. This is actually a pretty strong group. Beauty and the Beast was the first animated movie ever nominated for Best Picture, and it's absolutely timeless. I'm also a really big fan of JFK. I think that's a great movie with an excellent cast. I feel like that maybe Bugsy and and the Prince of Tides, now those probably could have been just as easily traded out with, say, a Thelma and Louise or a Boys in the Hood, which were equally deserving that year, in my opinion. Silence of the Lambs was a bit of a surprise that continued to grow in popularity as it became more widely seen and critics continued to support it. Again, that February release actually probably helped it become a sleeper hit. It had tremendous word of mouth. Once people saw it, they couldn't stop talking about it and it got some legs. My guess is that probably no one thought that a horror movie would win the big prize, but boy, this one's well-deserved. Acting Oscars for Hopkins and Foster were right on the money. I think the path was probably harder for her as she had to beat out Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, both of who were magnificent in Thelma and Louise. Jodie Foster has said to have been interested in playing Clarice right after she read the book. But even though she had just won an Oscar for The Accused, director Jonathan Demme wasn't convinced that she was right for this role. He really wanted Michelle Pfeiffer. Now, in honesty, I, I could actually see that. She kind of has that same look and feel and kind of tough grit that Jodie Foster has. But his second choice of all people was Meg Ryan. And in my opinion, that would have been a big old disaster. I just think she's totally wrong for this role. And although it's nearly impossible to ever picture anyone other than Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, There were other considerations there, too. In fact, Sean Connery was originally offered the role and turned it down. There were several others who had been in discussion, the usuals, you know, Pacino and De Niro and Hoffman, and all of them were all in consideration. I would say of those that were in consideration, um, Daniel Day-Lewis and Forrest Whitaker, who both were have said to have auditioned for the role, um, either of them could have been viable options, in my opinion. I could see either of them in it and probably would have still been very, very good. But thankfully, this went to Hopkins and a legend was born. He manages to play it perfectly. How how do you even like properly prepare to play someone who is a respected, renowned psychiatrist who also happens to eat people. It just, 
is simply unfathomable. I don't even know where you would start. And the nightmares you would have just being a part of this every single day is just crazy. Um, there's also a really unique way the film that they filmed this movie. And I think it actually makes it scarier because of it. So they, in at least, I would say, a half to maybe 60% of the scenes, the characters speak directly to the camera close up as if the camera is the person they're in conversation with, which seems to me like it's so much more difficult than having a second person, like a second actor to go back and forth with. But this adds to the overall kind of creepiness factor. It really forces every actor to use the full range of facial expressions because they can't rely on body language, right? The camera is just right there in their face. Question three. Should you watch it? Oh my God, yes, yes, yes. Um, you'll have to be prepared for the wretchedness of it all. It, and, and you have to have a really high tolerance for kind of that icky human depravity part because it's really on display here. As odd as it sounds, and I know this is gonna sound weird, but it's not as violent as you'd think. Um, Lecter's escape scene is frightening and it's brutal, but to be honest, you don't really see it, right? 85% of it takes place off camera. Um, and this is kind of what's common about this movie is, you know, particularly in this case, you 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 know what Lecter is doing, but you don't see the person on the receiving end, right? So you know what's happening and you hear the pain being inflicted, but the camera is close up on Lecter's face. So you see his emotion, you see his face and you can hear like the thumping and the beating and the, the yucky noises happening to the other person, the screaming, the pain, but you don't see it. So it's, it's almost worse. Like it, it, it scares you more because it's, it's your imagination. It's horrible. Most of what you see on screen is after the fact. So if there's a dead body, it's been dead for a while, or it's 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 maybe a, a victim during an autopsy, and they tell you how the body got that way. So you never ever see Buffalo Bill actually skinning a victim. You just see the dead body with some skin removed. So you're told how it happens, but you never see it happen. So they, they kind of go for this more of like imagination or the suspense factor rather than kind of that just cheap blood and guts, right? And so, yes, it would be disturbing to watch someone get beaten to death, but there's something more sinister to actually have it take place off camera where you can hear the noise and the screaming and what's happening in your imagination is just, it could be even worse. Clarice Starling is an amazing hero. She's brave and smart and solves some really difficult clues to put the pieces together. There's a couple of times when she kind of understandably loses her composure. One is during her first meeting with Lecter when she has a, a, a run-in, I guess I'll call it, with another patient. And it happens again at the very end when she finally faces down Buffalo Bill. But it's very understandable. Keep in mind, she's just a rookie. She's not even graduated from the academy yet. So it's not like she's a 20-year veteran who's seen it all. She's a newbie. And in many of these scenes, she's having to go it alone with no backup. So she's vulnerable, but she is so, so strong and really incredibly brave. It is very well written. 
the twists and turns, this whole entire cat and mouse game, the back and forth between the two stories, the race to save Catherine Martin, the pressure on Clarice to get information out of Lecter, and his ultimate narcissistic gameplay to remain in a position of control is all very well done. It's twisted. It's scary. It's intense. It's arguably one of the best movies ever made. And I would highly recommend that you watch it. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. This has been episode five of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can like, follow, subscribe, and even post a review. If you have a comment, maybe I got some facts wrong, or you just want to tell me I have shit taste, you can email cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. And the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio, and if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations, so please be generous. Thanks, and see you next week.